Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Thanks so much for joining us. Denny Long has the morning off. Steve Thompson sitting in. Denny will be back tomorrow morning. By the way, our phone number and text number 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. Pleased to be joined by Julie Wise and Horn. Julie, good to visit with you. It's been a while. Hey, Steve. How are you? Very good. Uh, and uh, here we are. Uh, spring is here. We have a little sun. It is chilly, 21 degrees this morning. But I know people are chomping at the bit to get outside. It's still very early. But I, I wanted to start the show and ask you about people thinking about starting seeds uh, in the house to get things going a little bit. Is now a good time to do that? Yeah, actually, we have a good... Um publication called the yard and garden news that has an article called it's time to start your seeds and it gives a lot of good information about how to read a seed packet uh the kinds of seeds that you can start at different times of the year so right now uh, this would be mid-march so you could be starting eggplants and okra and peppers and we're coming up to early april when you can start your tomatoes kale and leaf lettuce so um it is a really good time to do that, and especially with the social distancing and being stuck in the house right now, people are kind of itching to get started on some of these things for outside. Yeah, and it's really way too early to touch that turf. I know uh, yeah. some people have been out picking up sticks and that sort of thing, but in general, at this time of year, I've always heard you want to stay off turf as much as you can. You are exactly right. It, what happens is that on these warmer days when our soil thaws out, the turf gets kind of spongy. It still holds a lot of water from frost melting, and we can actually do more damage walking all over our lawn or trying to rake it too early or mowing it. I've even heard people who ask, can we mow it? And you want to stop You want to stop from doing that and just stay off your lawn as much as you can. It's okay to walk around and pick up a few sticks here and there, but try to stay off of it. Don't do any lawn work right now. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Our Smart Garden Show underway, and Julie Weisenhorn, good enough to join us today on the program. Uh, call or text six five one nine eight nine nine two two six six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. We do have something uh, from the text line to get started. Uh, can flocks be cut down now, or will they not flower? And if we can cut them down, how short? Well, that's a great question. Uh, flocks, you can cut those down now. They are uh, herbaceous perennials, which means that they will grow back from the root. Uh, so those stems that are standing are not going to be producing any kind of leaves or flowers. 
So you can cut them down. And a little piece of advice would be when you're cutting down your perennials, if you have uh, perennial flower shoots, the dead branches that are hollow, cut, leave some of them standing at about eight inches. So cut them down to about eight inches because our stem nesting bees may use those then as locations for laying eggs for their new uh, progeny, for their new uh, family, so to speak. And, uh, and, and then you can cut the rest of your perennials down to the ground. Very good. Uh, from our text line, and this is a question I was going to ask, so I'm glad someone sent this good. in. Awesome. I, it, can I still go out and prune my apple trees? I, I didn't do it over the winter months. Uh, can, can you still do this here in March? You sure can. Uh, we usually use the date of April 1st as kind of a rule of thumb for uh, when to stop pruning uh, apple trees and uh, crab apple trees. And so you still have a little bit of time to do that. And, and I would assume the website has some guidance because people love their apple trees. You know, that is true. We have, it's one of the most popular plants. We get so many questions about apples. And we, uh, we get so many that our fruit uh, educator, Annie Claude, put together a series of three apple tree pruning videos that you can find on our extension site under the fruit section. Yeah, I know I have a honey crisp, thanks to the University of Minnesota, that's really doing well and thriving near an old Harrelson Great. tree that I inherited. And this thing continues to grow, and I continue to prune it up because it, it, it's really getting big. It, it's doing well. Nice. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Now, I, I have heard one, one follow-up on apple trees that, that you not – don't necessarily want to keep trimming it up, but you want to thin it out so there's some air movement. You, you don't want it too, uh, particularly for apple production, you don't want it too crowded in there, if you will. That's right. And, and actually, Steve, the Harrelson is also a University of Minnesota release. So sure. you've got two university trees in your yard. Um, but we do want to encourage people to open up the canopies, and that allows for a couple things. One, it gets more sunshine down into the rest of the plant, into the canopy, and, uh, and that will increase your bloom. It will also uh, attract uh, more, allow more pollinators to get to those flowers because it's not so dense. And it allows for air circulation, as you mentioned, to get through that canopy and to hopefully reduce some of the leaf diseases that you might have on apples because it, it can help dry out those leaves during rainstorms or after rainstorms and then also when it's really humid. So that is a really good practice. One of the uh, types of branches that you'll see on apple trees are called uh, water sprouts. And water sprouts are these absolutely perfectly vertical, straight branches they have no uh, stem, no other branches on them, and they're growing right off of a, of a stem, and those need to come off. They're non-productive. They won't produce anything but leaves ultimately. So those are, that's a really easy thing to look for in your apple trees and to take those down. And those videos that Annie did uh, that are on our extension site will really be helpful to people. 
Phone number, text number is the same. It's easy, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. Julie Wisen Horn is joining us. It is our Smart Gardens program here on a Saturday morning. When we come back, we'll go to the phone lines. Peg is waiting, and we have more on the text line as well here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. It is our Smart Garden Show underway in a Saturday morning. Julie Weisenhorn joining us. Our phone number, 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. Feel free to call or text. Let's go to the phone lines. Peg in Roseville, you're on the air with Julie. Hey, good morning. I've got a pass. Morning. Uh, good morning. I have a pass from... Um, my house to where the mailman goes and it's down to mud right now and I was thinking of fencing it off a little bit with one of those small fences and putting uh, grass seed in it right now and then maybe repeating that later. Is it too early to put the grass seed down in the mud? Yeah, Peg, it's going to be a little bit early. That seed is not going to germinate and uh, it's too cold, basically. Um, The soil, soil temperature for germination of grass seed, I think, needs to be at least around 40 degrees or so. So you can, uh, you'll just have to hold off on that. You could put down, if you can get some bags of mulch, you could put down a layer of mulch, which would help reduce the, the mud for now. And then you can just rake that up when the temperatures warm up and you can put your grass seed down then. All right. Thank you. And uh, for, for seed. nice that she's doing that for the mailman. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Way too early for seed. At what point is it okay? I, I, I know it's all soil temp driven. Yeah, so it's so probably in April, I would say maybe about a month from now. Uh, what you want to look for, an easy identifier, is when you start to see your grass warm up and kind of green up a little bit and, and start to see some new growth, then you, could, then you could safely put down that grass seed. Right now, I think the birds would just end up eating all of that grass seed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'd be doing a big favor for the birds. I That's know right. fall, is, <laughs> fall is ideal, but uh, spring is okay as well. Right. Yeah, you can always you can always put down more grass seed and you want to do it early in the season because our grasses here in Minnesota are cool season grasses and they grow really well in the cool season, spring and fall. Now let's go to the phones again. Uh, Julie in Minneapolis, you're on the air with Julie. Hi, I'd like to know if I can take the seeds from the crab apple tree and will they germinate into uh, trees? Well, that is a good question. A lot of our crab apples are grafted, uh, so and they're hybrids. So those seeds that you find in the little crab apples probably will not give you the same tree that you have. It may uh, have a different color flower. Ultimately, it may have, it may may or may not produce any fruit. So the better thing would be is if you're interested in uh, starting seeds, is to uh, you could you could try it with uh, a very old crab apple tree that isn't grafted. So I know some people have called into the show and said, "I've got a crab apple on this old farmstead, and I don't know. Uh, it produces nice crab apples. We make jelly out of them. You could try it with those apples because they may not. That might be a species of crab apple and not a hybrid or a, or a grafted plant." We go to the phones again here on Smart Gardens. Uh, Ken and Blaine, you're on the air with Julie. Good morning. Good morning. Um, 
I have a, a large fern garden, and in the fall when I rake my lawn, I don't rake the leaves off the fern garden. I leave them on. And I'm wondering if, uh, if when can I, uh, the earliest can I uh, rake those leaves off that fern garden before the ferns start sprouting up? Well, Ken, that is a great question, and I am happy to uh, comment on it because it's kind of, we're starting to advise people not to necessarily rake off those leaves, but to push them aside. You could take your rake and lightly just push them off of the ferns as they're coming up so the ferns can emerge from the leaves, but that leaf mulch does a couple things. One is it's a great source of carbon for the soil in your fern garden. It will break down over the summer and then add carbon to that soil, which is really helpful. It increases microbial activity in the soil, which is beneficial for the roots. And it also can be habitat for our all-important pollinators, our bees, who overwinter in that leaf mulch and then also uh, will be laying, uh, you know, hiding in there again or overwintering there in the fall. So it's really a fantastic natural mulch that you have right there on your property and it will save you from having to bag leaves. And so just lightly raking them off of those fern plants as they're coming up, or you can push them aside if, they're, if you're concerned about breaking those ferns too. Um, Julie, what, what about cleaning up daylilies and hostas? I know people are always so eager to get outside. I know in the fall I kind of leave uh, the daylilies and the hostas to kind of uh, protect what's going to grow in the spring. Um when is can you clean up now or should you wait a while you could you could go out and if you know if you can get to those without walking too much on your soil sure. uh, and compacting it you could certainly go out and take a nice sharp clean pruner and prune that off i wouldn't pull it out unless it's really loose but you want to just cut it off and uh, you'll probably see you know you might see some like iris already emerging or if you have uh, daffodils planted in those areas, you might see some of those just starting to poke out if it's on the south side of your house. But, uh, yeah, you could do that. I like to always kind of stay out of the garden, though, at this time of year. It's just, you know, it's usually kind of muddy. <laughs> or uh, as you walk on that soil, you start to compact it down, and that can make it difficult for roots to really grow well. So, uh, But, yep, you could, you could do it if it's a convenient uh, access to that. Julie Wise and O'Hearn joining us here on our Smart Garden Show on a Saturday morning. Denny Long is back tomorrow morning here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. Uh, from our text line, someone has some squash stored in the garage. Would the seeds be viable for planting this spring? Yeah, I think so. If the squash hasn't molded or rotted at all, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you could use those seeds again. Absolutely. Um, we purchased rhubarb and asparagus plants at the Lawn and Garden Show. When should we put those in the ground? I know it'd be hard to get a shovel in the ground. I know we've we've had some warm days, but it's still still pretty firm. Yeah, it's still pretty early for doing any kind of planting. One issue with planting out early is that we still get frost. We're we're going to get snow today, and so definitely I would avoid planting those plants right now. Uh, there's plenty of time for them to grow and get big enough uh, and, uh, you know, really have a good head start on the season. And with both of those plants, you're going to want to hold off harvesting, especially the asparagus, uh, at least a couple of years to give it enough uh, root strength to support uh, you snapping off of those young sprouts. 
And the same is with uh, your rhubarb. You're going to want to let that grow at least a season or two before you start harvesting it. So I would wait. I would wait until, oh, boy, our, our last frost date, depending on where you live in the state, can be anywhere from May 10th to even May 31st. We've had frost at least that, that late before in northern parts of the state. So you want to hold off so that you don't get any damage to those, uh, to even the small plants that will be coming up. Yeah, and, and Julie, I'm leery of putting tomatoes in the garden until Memorial Day weekend. That's when I, I plant tomatoes. You, Steve. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I like to plant on Memorial Day weekend because you get an extra day to plant. So <laughs> That's right. And I know people are so excited to get out into the garden. Speaking of rhubarb, real quick, before the break, is there anything you can do to maybe give rhubarb a good jump start? So if you've got established rhubarb, is there anything you can give it in the spring? Yes. Actually, rhubarb is what we would call a big feeder. In other words, it needs a lot of nutrition. It has to produce those great big leaves. And the part that we eat, the stem, is actually called a petiole. So it's the part that connects a leaf to the mother plant, to the main part of the plant. So we eat the petioles of rhubarb. Um, we have an excellent rhubarb webpage on extension.umn.edu under our vegetable section. And it tells you all about how to grow rhubarb and especially how, like, how to choose rhubarb plants, how to, uh, how to buy them, how to plant them, controlling weeds, insects, harvesting, all of that. So that's a really good uh, resource for rhubarb. And, uh, but I do know that they're big feeders. So fertilizing rhubarb with a good vegetable, all-purpose vegetable fertilizer would be advised. Quick break. We have much more with Julie Weisenhorn here on our Smart Garden Show each and every Saturday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. Uh, the text number and phone number 651-989-9226. Still plenty of time if you have a question for Julie. 651-989-9226. That's good for a call or a text. 21 degrees, sun's out. Clouds move in later, and as Julie mentioned, a little rain or snow overnight tonight here in the Twin Cities. Here on News Talk, E3O-WCCO. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Saturday morning at News Talk, E3O-WCCO. Steve Thompson in. Denny Long will be back tomorrow morning. Pleased to be joined by Julie Weisenhorn, our weekly Smart Garden Show between 8 and 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. And by the way, uh, if you miss part of the program, download the Radio.com app, make WCCO Radio your favorite, and take advantage of that rewind feature. It's outstanding. From the text line real quick, Julie, and then we'll jump over to the phone calls is the right time uh, now to do dormant oil spraying on fruit trees. I'm not familiar with that, but uh, is it a good time to do that? Uh, boy, that is a good question. I'm going to refer that person to our fruit uh, webpage because they're not mentioning what fruit the trees they are. Right. And that is, you can find that at extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden and go down to the fruit section. And if you have any questions about other fruits, too, that is a great resource for finding that information. Um, Folks that are building a house in Carver, uh, the soil is very sandy. Uh, Looking ahead to landscaping, and they were wondering if there are any types of shrubs, bushes, other plants that do well in really sandy soil. 
There are some great plants that do well in sandy soil. And I think another thing they could do too, and it will really help to lower the amount of water that they'll need to use, is to, before they do their planting in those beds, is to amend it with about an inch or so of compost. And you can just buy a good, uh, you can have it brought in in bulk, you can bring it in in bags, depending on, you know, how big the spaces are. And do that amending before you start planting. And the compost does two things. One is it allows, it helps to hold the water in that sandy soil and make it available then to the plant roots. And it will also then help to enrich the soil. And if you keep adding it over time, you'll eventually really have a nice sandy loam soil instead of just sand. So I would recommend doing that. And the best part is to do it before you plant. It's a lot easier to amend the soil at that point. A soil test is also advised for any new plantings, and you can uh, submit a soil test. Uh, you can get the form and how to do it and where to send it on soiltest.umn.edu. And that is the soil test lab at the University of Minnesota on the St. Paul campus. We brought up apple trees, and if this is a good time to prune, and you said through the end of the month is a, is a good time to prune those apple trees. But what if an apple tree is getting too tall? What do you do about that? Someone sent in on the text line, should I top that off? Well, the problem with topping trees is you now have this this kind of a, you've cut the leader off, the main trunk of the tree, and you now have a flat spot, and that can sprout these water sprouts that I mentioned earlier in the program, which you have to prune off every year. And it can also create a surface. If it's too flat, it can create a surface that water will sit on and it will eventually get into that trunk and it could cause some rot, which could sacrifice your tree, a majority part of your tree. So topping it is never advised. Uh, The better thing to do is to selectively take out branches from the center and to cut them back so that you then bring the size of the plant down. Uh, if it was, if we could go back in time, I would say choose a dwarf variety of apple tree. If you're going to plant an apple tree, that's mostly what you're going to find in garden centers and nurseries now. And that way the tree is manageable. Uh, you can harvest it easily. And, uh, and the pruning is much easier than a full-sized apple tree. To the phone lines, we go on Smart Gardens. And, of course, uh, Julie Wise and Horn joining us today. Let's go to Norma in St. James. Norma, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a problem with three Honeycrisp trees. They're young trees. Uh, one is about, oh, uh, maybe eight years old. The other ones, the other two are probably five years old. And anyways, uh, within that same area where they're planted, there are two old um, uh, apple trees, Fireside and Regent, and they do fine. Uh, however, these young honeycrisp, <coughs> the apples are deformed. Um, they don't get nice and round, uh, and they don't get big. And um, I'm wondering what – there, there is a regiment of spraying going on, but maybe it's not enough. Can you tell me why these these fireside apples do not become nice like they should? Uh, the Honeycrisp apples, I take it, right? Yes, yes. The fireside and regent are fine? Yes, they are, but they're old okay. trees. Right. Yes. So uh, whenever you mention a deformed apple, I think right away of apple 
And uh, apple maggots are, are flies that will lay their eggs in the small green apples. And you say that you're spraying, uh, which is fine. And, um, but it may be timing of spraying. Uh, hanging traps for the apple maggots will help to monitor for the adults. And that will help you to time uh, your spraying maybe better if that's what you're spraying for. You don't mention what you're actually spraying for. But uh, deformed apples, uh, what happens is when those uh, eggs hatch inside of the apples as they grow, the larvae will tunnel through the apples, and that causes that, that deformed, kind of bumpy, weird-looking apple, not very flavorful, pretty dry. And, uh, and, and so spraying is one option, but it's the timing apple tree spraying is, is really an art. And you'll want to really follow that regimen. And it sounds like you're, you're doing that now. It might be time to uh, take a look at, at your spraying regimen. The other thing about these honey crisps, uh, now if they're dwarf honey crisps, they will produce fruit sooner. But sometimes apple trees need uh, a number of years to actually mature. And, uh, and possibly these, the apples are small because the trees are not mature, you know, they're not mature enough to produce full-size apples. So um, that might be, that's just kind of a wait and see kind of thing where you want to wait and see uh, how that plant, those plants do. 840, 20 minutes now in front of 9, 21 degrees, sunny on the way to a 39, clouds move in, a chance of rain or snow this evening, then a little snow overnight, and then on Sunday, a little warmer, cloudy, and 46 degrees. Let's go to the phones again. Peggy from Hudson, you're on the Smart Garden Show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Good morning. this involves a conversation about soil testing, and I know early in the show you mentioned, you know, soil tests can be done by the um, extension, which is awesome. But I have a garden that has five raised beds, and I know I have a soil deficiency. Um, and my question is, do I have to take a sample from each one of the beds and send it in? Uh, that would be ideal, actually, because the beds are separate. And, uh, and if you want, you may find out that the soil is the same in all of the beds. Um, but you, uh, but that would be the, the way to go. That would be the way to rule out. So definitely sending in uh, a sample from each of the beds would be advised. Julie Wise and O'Horn is joining us on our Smart Garden Show. Let's go to the phones again. Rob in Buffalo. Hello. Julie. I've got another apple, I've got another apple tree question. I've got two uh, uh, trees, apple trees, uh, Harold Red and a Honeycrisp. Um, we've lived in our house at least 16 years, and they're here and uh, fairly large before that. I've never done anything with them, and they've always produced great. Um, but I'm just kind of looking now, just looking forward. Um, when, um, when, and what should I use if I'm going to fertilize them? And is that uh, a good idea to do that? Yeah, fertilizing is is an thing for our trees, and it's good that you're that you're actually thinking about that because we we tend to kind of forget about the larger trees in our properties and that they also need to be fertilized. And uh, there are uh, spikes, which are basically long, uh, kind of uh, pointed chunks of fertilizer that you can buy and pound into the soil at certain. Uh, you know, it depends on the canopy size of the tree, how many spikes you use how far you are from the root area, and uh, you can buy those for fruit trees. And so that's a nice way of putting it in the ground. It will feed it over the summer, 
and can get some important um, nutrients to those apple trees. I wanted to also follow up on the woman who was doing the spraying on the three Honeycrisp trees because we do have an excellent publication called Pest Management for the Home Apple Orchard that is available on, under our fruit section on our uh, extension webpage, Yard and Garden webpage. So I would advise that, that uh, the person with the three Honeycrisp that she take a look at that as well. And that might help with the timing, the types of chemicals to use, uh, and then what type of, you know, you always want to know what kind of pests you're dealing with, too. And I think it sounds like she's got apple maggots. To the phones again, but we better take a quick break. Edward, hang on the line. Uh, we better get a break in. We'll go to the text line as well. Very busy, as you might expect, on our Smart Garden Show with Julie Weisenhorn, of course. And of, we'll remind you of the website, a great extension website with all sorts of information. We'll have that for you at the end of the program as well. Here on a Saturday morning at News Talk, 830 WCCO. It is a Saturday morning. Steve Thompson in for Denny Long, our Smart Gardens program. Julie Weisenhorn is joining us. A lot of great calls and texts this morning, and we certainly do appreciate that. We're going to be going to the text line momentarily, but uh, Edward's been waiting from Northfield. Edward, you're on the air with Julie. Hello. I have a uh, a, a large uh, group of uh, irises that I've cut back during the fall, and some of them are rather large in diameter, maybe a foot, and I'd like to divide them. Can I divide them now? Uh, what's the best time to divide them, if not now? Um, I think that I would, let's see, I'm just going to take a look at some resources that we have here. But I think that they will be best divided probably after they bloom uh, or before they start to come up. Uh, so you could do that. Um, you definitely don't want to do them while they're blooming. So otherwise you'll lose a lot of the flowers. So I think that uh, that you could go ahead and when the soil is workable, that you could do that division now. But I, so the, the advice is to do that after they bloom, is to do the division at that point. And remember with iris uh, that they're a rhizome, and that rhizome should – should be should show above the surface of the soil. So don't bury that rhizome. Don't bury that root-like structure. Make sure that it shows that it's maybe about half buried or two-thirds buried so that, that it shows above the soil. Otherwise, they're not going to bloom very well. We're going to jump to the text line. We have a lot of those lined up this morning. Uh, is it okay to aerate the lawn in the spring? Well, the best time, as Steve, as you mentioned earlier in the program, the best time to, to aerate your lawn is in the fall. And the reason for that is that weed seeds are not germinating in the fall. In the spring, when you, uh, it would be the second best time would be spring if you really have to do it. Uh, but you're going to have more weed pressure in your lawn because you're turning those weed seeds up. You're bringing them up out of the soil. They're being exposed to sunlight. And that is one of the kind of the prompters for germination for those seeds. So if you aerate in the spring, you're going to have to be prepared to do some more weed management in your lawn. Uh, it's best, if you can, to wait until fall to do the aeration. And, Julie, I'm, I'm sure on the Smart Garden Show throughout the growing season, 
People are wondering, what do I do about uh, critters that are making tunnels in my yard? There's moles, there's voles, there's a lot. And uh, we have a text that says, how do I get rid of these things? Well, uh, (laughs) with moles, um, something that moles are looking for is uh, they're all looking for some kind of food source. And so moles, they do a lot of damage to lawns. And they like the grubs that are in lawns. So you may want to also look and see, do I also have a grub problem? And there are pictures of what grub damage looks like. It looks like a brown area of your lawn that when you pull up the, the grass, if you pull up that brown grass, it comes right up. It has no roots because those grubs are feeding on the roots. They're chewing them up underground. And those moles like to eat the grubs. So if you have, you might want to back up a little bit and see and think, why are the moles in my yard? Could be that I have a grub problem. So then you would want to manage that. Um, but really, if you have moles, trapping moles with uh, basically a, a fatal trap is the best way to get rid of moles and, uh, or removing that food source from them. So that is then- unfortunately the, the, really the recommended way to get rid of moles. Yeah, and I, I've been fighting it. I, I live along the river, and w- the neighbors and I, we've had terrible mole problems, and, and the traps are really the only thing that was able to, you know, knock down the population because it, it was extraordinary how many were going to work. And then also uh, the, there's the little rodents, the, the voles, if you will, that tunnel around. Is, there, is that same thing, trapping, really is the only way to go? Well, I think with with voles, uh, trapping is not, uh, you're not going to be able to trap voles, but you want Mm. to change the environment so that they're not, it's not as vole friendly. So they like to harbor under longer grasses. So maybe, uh, maybe you've got some areas of your lawn that, uh, you know, you're letting them get a little bit long. Uh, In the winter, they tunnel underneath snow. And they feed on the, the stems of trees. You can see their little chewing uh, teeth marks uh, when the snow melts. And so protecting trees uh, by screening their trunks from moles is, or from voles is one of the uh, one thing to do in the, in the fall. And then uh, to keep that grass uh, not mowed too short, but don't let it get to be four or five inches tall. Uh, because that's a perfect little place for them to grow. So keeping your lawn at about three inches is good uh, through the summer. And uh, and also in the fall before the snow flies is to cut your lawn to about a three-inch level so that you don't have a lot of extra grass that's, that's creating this nice uh, bed for them to sleep for the winter, to hang out for the winter. From our text line, I have tulip bulbs planted in a pot that spent the winter in an unheated garage, they're sprouting up now. Should I move those outside uh, so they get a little fresh air and sun? I would actually put them in a sunny window in your house. That oh. uh, sounds to me like you inadvertently forced your tulip bulbs. <laughs> and that's great. So I would put them in a sunny window, water them, and they may actually bloom for you. From the text line, I planted some little lime hydrangeas last year. I have some 131313 fertilizer. Is it okay to use, or should I use a different product on the hydrangeas? Um, I think it would be fine to use that. That's a, a called a balanced fertilizer, and it has um, 
it sounds like it's got, you know, plenty of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium for those plants. Um, in some cases, when plants are younger, they don't really need a lot of fertilizer and the, as they, you know, are starting to emerge and starting to grow. So, uh, but I don't think it's going to hurt anything. You want to follow the instructions on the package and, uh, and then apply probably, you know, uh, when you start to see new growth, when you start to see the buds opening, uh, you know, the leaves opening up, then you would want to start to, you know, you could apply a little bit of fertilizer there. Here's a really good one uh, for anybody that has raspberries. Is now a good time to trim the raspberries? Well, you do want to clean up your raspberry patch. There's, uh, there's old canes from last year that, uh, you know, that you can tell they'll, they'll pull right out of the soil really easily. They're kind of gray and woody and uh, don't have any green tissue, no live bugs on them. And so you'd want to thin that out, and that allows more sun to get to the the canes that are going to produce this year. And then uh, cut your canes down to maybe about you know, 15, 18 inches. Cut them right above a, a bud. You can wait to do that. Um, you could clean up your bed now, but you could cut your canes back, oh, you know, probably in a couple of weeks or so. April's probably a little bit better. Uh, might not be able to get to them. If there's snow, I would just wait until the snow is gone. And again, on our website, under fruits, we have an excellent uh, raspberry section, too, for care and maintenance and planting raspberries. And before we run out of time, we should put the website out there so everyone can jot that down and make sure they visit. There's so much great information about apples and turf and all the things we've talked about today. Yeah, it is extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden. You can also just enter your uh, topic into the search box on extension.umn.edu, and it will pop up all sorts of resources for you on that subject. That is a great time of year, people thinking about getting out in the yard and garden. What about this from our text line? Is it hard to get a pumpkin patch going? It is not hard to get a pumpkin patch going. Pumpkins need a lot of water and fertilizer in order to produce those great big fruits. So if you're starting, you might want to consider uh, choosing maybe a smaller pumpkin variety, something that isn't going to, you know, that you'll be able to harvest maybe a little sooner, that maybe uh, won't take up quite so much time. And then you could kind of, you know, as you get more experience, you could grow some bigger pumpkins. Uh, we have good information on that. And, in fact, Annie Claude, our, our uh, fruit uh, educator, did some research on, on uh, pumpkins, and our, we have a a really great blog called Yard and Garden News, which you can subscribe to on our webpage, and and you can find out about her research on the pumpkins. It was really interesting. Um, Here's a really good one as we get into vegetable season. Every year, cucumber and squash plant leaves turn white and yellow and eventually die. Seems to spread throughout the plants. usually happens when the vegetables are growing. What's going on? How do I stop that? Well, if they're turning white and dusty, that is uh, likely powdery mildew. And that is uh, uh, in the air, it's in the soil, it's, there's nothing to really do about it. Um, we don't advise spraying fungicides or anything uh, on these plants. And uh, it's not going to kill the plants, but people don't like the way it looks. So, um, but it's just kind of uh, a nature of uh, the beast, so to speak so to speak, on those squash and melons and cucumber plants. 
Yeah, and, and Julie, we're really tight on time, and uh, maybe we'll have to revisit that uh, next week on the program. But uh, always good to visit with you, and thanks so much for joining us. One more time, that website. Extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden. Thanks a lot, Steve. It was good talking with you. All right. Julie Weisenhorn joining us with our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. And so many great calls and texts. We apologize for those uh, that didn't make it on the air. We'll try again next week uh, here between 8 and 9 a.m. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.